0: This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Kimball Riley, Garen and Brown.
1: Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. Today, we've got another bonus episode, and I'm talking with Kristen Sherman about municipal prosecutions. Kristen is a partner at the Hurling clark Law Firm located in Appleton, Wisconsin. Kristen's practice is primarily devoted to personal injury litigation, and she also handles municipal prosecution for a local municipality and some appellate work in a variety of practice areas. In 2019, Kristen was asked to be a regular feature on a radio segment with WHBY's Josh Duclo. Duklo added the lawyers to his weekly scheduled program Fresh Take. During the segment, which airs twice per month, Josh and Kristen with other legal guests address trending legal news stories, hot topics in the law, and provide an opportunity for legal education for the public. In 2020, Josh and Kristen also teamed up to put a fresh spin on Josh's podcast Civic Revival, and the two record weekly discussions about the rule of law and returning to a civil discourse in American life. Here at GRGV, we defend people that are accused of municipal violations, from disorderly conducts to owi first and everything in between. Kristen, on the other hand, serves as a municipal prosecutor. As no one at our firm does this, we thought we'd bring in Kristen to share her unique perspective on municipal prosecutions. I think the best place to start is from a very macro level of what even a municipality is. I think a lot of people listening might not realize how integral it is in the legal system. Sure.
2: So when we talk about municipal prosecution, I think one of the places to start is what is a municipal court and why do they exist and how do they exist? So municipalities are essentially towns, villages, cities, and all of those have very distinct legal meanings. They're formed in various ways, and we don't have to get into all of that, but within the state of Wisconsin, we have a statutory scheme that allows for municipalities if they so choose to create a municipal court. And if that happens, the municipal court in most instances is what we call a court of uh, initial or first jurisdiction, meaning that they're going to be the one to handle citations or ordinance violations that are issued within the municipality. So that kind of a 30,000 foot view, um, I think just because it's fun, I find this stuff interesting. Um, I went and looked up some statistics on the Wisconsin courts website. And so as of February of 2021, so this is pretty current, there were 229 municipal courts in Wisconsin. Uh, There are 232 municipal judges. 79 of those that I just mentioned are what we call joint courts. So they serve either two to, I think, 18 municipalities was the largest one mentioned. Um, Maybe not surprising, but Milwaukee has the largest municipal court system. Very much so. And for anyone listening, uh, again, I guess a shout out to municipal (laughs) court judge Derek Mosley in Milwaukee. If people don't follow him on social media, you should. He is... Just a delightful human being and he every February shares great information about Black History Month. He's a foodie. His personal story is great, but he's also just an awesome advocate of justice and the things that he's done within the municipal court system um, and the community to be able to connect Justice with the community and make the courts more accessible to members of the community uh, is admirable, and I'd love to see his energy elsewhere. But um, totally agree. So. I'm lucky enough to be able to be in front of him quite a bit, and he is just excellent. Uh, he's everything that you want a judge to be. He, yeah. you know, he's bright and he knows the law, but he is so incredibly human, and I think he's approachable and he believes inherently that you know Brian Stevenson style, we are all better than mm-hmm. our biggest mistake. And again, he looks at the court not necessarily as a punitive element, which I think a lot of times that's how we treat our courts. Um, sometimes that's I suppose got its its place, but mm-hmm. he really looks at his role as an opportunity to reach people um, who probably need to hear a message they're not expecting or that they don't anticipate hearing, and it allows for some really restorative things to go on, and that benefits everyone. So that's my shout out to be as awesome as Judge Mosley. Um, So Wisconsin municipal courts, though, municipal courts have handled more than 450,000 cases in 2019. The data there tends to lag, but I would not be shocked to know that that's very similar in 2020 and probably will be in 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that I would mention uh, before we move on or you have another question is that an interesting dynamic though of municipal court is that municipal courts statutorily cannot deal with misdemeanors or felonies. So criminal activity cannot be adjudicated in municipal court. So Wisconsin is very very unique. We are the only state in the entire nation that treats uh, drunk driving first offenses as a traffic ticket. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't have to necessarily debate whether that's right or wrong today but it is what it is and it's the state of our law which means that a first offense OWI can be handled in municipal court and we see a lot of those tickets in municipal court However, once you start dealing with second offense OWIs or OWIs that have modifiers, perhaps minors in the vehicle or something that would then take it outside a simple traffic violation, those, even if they happen in a municipality that has a municipal court, those are gonna get what we called referred to county or they get written and sent to the county court or the circuit court system.
1: Exactly, and I I think that's a huge distinction because I know I get a lot of times clients who have a municipal citation and they're asking very common question I hear is, does this go on my criminal record? No. If it's in municipal court, it's not going on your criminal record. So that's a big distinction between the courts. And we talked a little bit about Milwaukee. There are some municipalities that have government funded attorneys that prosecute, or I guess I should say only work for the government. Um, But that's not the case in every municipality. And I know that you work for a private law firm
2: that does community prosecution. Can you talk about that dynamic a little bit? Sure. So um, I prosecute in a small municipality in the Fox Valley, and my law firm, so more than just me. So my law firm represents this municipality, again, outside just municipal prosecution. So um, when we talk about municipal board meetings or municipal issues, drafting municipal ordinances, our law firm works with the municipality to do all of that. And sort of an arm of that then is handling prosecution for tickets and ordinances that come through that system. So I have been prosecuting I've lost track, but I want to say it's close to four years, maybe five. And before that, I was still involved in the municipal court system in this municipality. Um, Every court is slightly different, but in our municipality, we have... So when somebody gets a ticket, it's got a return date on it. Some people call it a return date. We call it an initial appearance, but it's a date by which you can actually come to the courthouse. And if you want to meet with one of the town attorneys and talk about your case, Um, Again, every process is so different. Um, If you've ever been in municipal court, you know if you've been in one, it may be totally different than how another municipality handles it. Um, Some of our initial appearance tickets are handled directly by the judge, depending on, again, the nature of the citation. A lot of times, if there's a juvenile involved, the judge will talk with those folks directly directly. But the initial appearance is an opportunity to come and and talk with one of the town attorneys and see if you can resolve your case. And if not, then it's set for trial. And so to your point, when it is set for trial, I am then, even though I'm a private attorney, I am the attorney that represents the interests of the town in trying that matter. Um, I handle all of our municipal trials but I also handle cases where they may have originated in municipal court and then the defendant chose to remove the case, which Mm -hmm. they have a right to do, to the circuit court system. Um, So in those cases, you're still stuck with me. It's just, instead of our municipal court judge, you now would be before whichever judge the case gets reassigned to in circuit court. Mm
1: -hmm. So in your role as a municipal prosecutor, you're dealing with a lot of people in Fox Valley how does that jive with your private clients? How do you deal with conflicts? Um, I know sometimes people might come in and say, wait, she is the one who decided what my speeding ticket was gonna turn out as. So how does that work?
2: Um, it, I wish that there was a perfect system for that, but it's one of those, we do the very best we can mm-hmm. to handle those and, and to be upfront about it and be responsible about it. Um, similar to you. um, And granted your firm is in a much bigger area, but for the location where I practice, my law firm is fairly large. And so the, the opportunity for conflicts to arise because of that is somewhat greater just because Mm -hmm. we have a lot of clients, not just myself personally, but the firm. Um, So again, we obviously try our very, very best to ensure that we would um, that, that we are adhering to any of the ethical, you know, rules right. that, that dictate right. conflicts. Um, but that aside, sometimes there are, and I don't want to bore people, but there are what are called waivable conflicts where mm-hmm. it might not be, you know, a complete bar. And so a lot of times I will recognize someone or I'll recognize a name. Um, and again, if I've, if I have some reason to have information about that person that would somehow interfere with my ability to, I think, fairly you know, work with them on resolving mm-hmm. a ticket, um, there are a couple of options. Again, if it's at an initial appearance phase, there's another attorney at my firm that comes with me to handle those. And as long as, again, everything needs to be disclosed, which we do, because again, technically one conflict could inf- impute the entire firm. But most people are really just focused on getting their ticket resolved. Exactly. Um, and again, when we're talking municipal court, something that that listeners can keep in mind is that because we are only dealing with statutory and ordinance violations, not crimes, nobody is ever at risk of losing their liberties, mm-hmm. even on their worst day in municipal court. So if if you show up for trial and it really goes poorly for you, usually the worst day is a fine. So. You're never going to be, you know, looking at probation or jail time or prison time. So because of that, I want to say there's a little bit more relaxed vibe about how we handle that. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I have on a number of occasions had a case where I may not have even been involved at the initial appearance, but now it gets to my desk for a Mm -hmm. trial phase. And I recognize I have a conflict. I can't do this. And so we'll then refer it out to, it sounds much more important than it is, a special prosecutor, Um, but we'll find another attorney who Mm -hmm. is, again, competent and qualified to try the case, and then the file will just get transferred to them. I won't touch it, have anything to do with it, and then on the day of trials, I try all of the cases that I can, and then the special Mm -hmm. prosecutor would handle the conflict case. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you represent one
1: municipality. Does your firm represent other municipalities? I know a lot of times, a lot of municipalities are all centered in one firm.
2: Yes, we represent a number. Um, and and the Fox Valley is such a unique area because the Fox Valley itself, if you combine all of the municipalities within it, um, is a fairly big area. But within that bigger, you know, global community. There are lots of small towns, cities, villages. And so we do represent a number of them. Um, I have partners that prosecute in some of the other municipalities, but I, again, just work with the one. It keeps me plenty busy.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, my next question was going to be, how often are
1: you dealing with the municipality as opposed to your private work?
2: Um, That answer has changed dramatically over the last year because of COVID. Um, And I don't know that that's a bad thing. Um, I think, you know, as difficult as the last year has been for all of us, I know I've tried to take from it some things that I've learned that can improve how we practice um, and how we, again, if we go back to Judge Mosley, are able to reach defendants. And I think when the courts closed, our courts are still closed in the municipality I represent, Um, being able to talk with defendants over the phone or do virtual conferencing um, is incredibly helpful when you're talking about people, again, that it's a huge inconvenience to have to take off of work to come to court. And I think we forget that sometimes. It sounds so easy, just show up. Well, showing up isn't always that easy. And um, so So over COVID, every day, um, because I am handling all of our pleas, all of our tickets, all of the settlement negotiations virtually, by email, by phone. Um, So over the last year, it has been a significantly bigger part of my practice, just because of volume. Um, Pre-COVID, and I don't know what normal is going to look like at any point in the future, but pre-COVID, we had initial appearances once a month, every month. we don't do anything in July. That's sort of our month off. Okay. And then we also have trials once a month. So, usually the initial appearances would be the first Wednesday in the month, and then trials are always the usually third Wednesday in the month. With the exception of July, we all get a little bit of a breather. So, um, it was much less time consuming because you show up and deal with, you know, 300 files, but you're, you know, doing it with a partner and it just, you kind of go through it versus touching every single individual file as that, please come in. So it's changed a lot, but, um, I think it's also okay. And, and this remains to be seen. I don't know what we're going to do, but a part of me would like to see there be additional options for defendants, again, to have access to a town attorney or to talk about their case um, in ways that may not, again, prevent people who have a very difficult time for a number of reasons physically coming to a courtroom from having the same opportunity to look at resolving their case. So we'll see.
1: Right. It's interesting that with COVID, it's taken up more of your time because as someone who Is represents the defendants in municipal court, it takes up a lot less of our time now. And it's mostly because we have the zoom on and we can do other work while we're waiting for it to happen instead of having to actually go to the courthouse. So it's very interesting that you have seen a much different impact of it.
2: Yeah. um, And I was just talking about that with some other attorney friends of mine, just generally how things have changed and It's a good thing but also I don't know maybe an interesting thing that we can actually work more and put in more hours and get more done because you know you close off of a hearing or a conference Mm -hmm. and you're able to just move directly to the next thing and there's no travel time and there's no waiting for your case to get called and all of these things that were so much a part of our world um, which again is so interesting but then I think of defendants you know if we take a typical Wednesday pre-COVID in my world Um, There could be, you know, several hundred people just sitting around waiting and it wasn't uncommon. We could be there for four hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you think about what that means to someone who, again, doesn't have sick time, isn't getting paid if they're not at work, has transportation issues, because let's be real, a lot of the tickets that I'm dealing with are operating after suspension or issues related to, again, just a, a litany of things not lining up for someone, creating a really difficult situation. And I just, I, I don't think most people think enough about the fact that people who find themselves in municipal court or any court a lot of the time um, are a product of a lot of circumstances and a lot of things oftentimes piling on top of each other. Um, and it can be very, very difficult to dig out from that. And so mm-hmm. again, giving people access and saving time, um, I think there's some really good opportunities there for us to improve access to justice.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, especially just coming back to the point of you know having to spend time there, a lot of times that's why people hire me is because it it costs them more to take a day off of work or to take a couple hours off of work than it is to have me show up there. And I think um, you know it's a huge. I don't want to say a roadblock for for people that can't afford to have a private defense but it is it affects their lives significantly.
2: Well I think you're totally right and I think roadblock is a great word and I um not as eloquently as you did tried to touch on that before that I think A lot of times, and again, I I haven't looked at the data, but having done this as long as I've done it, my gut feel, which I'm fairly confident in, is that there are a number of people that probably just enter a guilty plea or pay a fine or just ignore the ticket altogether. because they simply can't access an an option um, Mm -hmm. to try to resolve it. And they don't have the funds to have an attorney help them through that. And they don't even have an opportunity or a way to just come and meet with the prosecutor who's willing to talk with them. And I think that's very real. I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's people trying to sort of blow off responsibility or not take things seriously. I think if it comes down to, Putting my hours in and getting my paycheck and not having childcare—I mean, it's pretty obvious sometimes what the choice has to be. So, again, we'll see. I think I think if we really all challenge ourselves, there's been a great lesson over the last year that there are some fantastic ways that all of us, as you know, officers of the court and people committed to a justice system that's accessible to everyone, um, can really. Put our money where our mouth is and make that accessible. So we'll see. I'm hopeful.
1: Yes. Yes. And I, when we are in person, the way it works in Milwaukee is the pay window is right next to the check in window. So I hear a lot of times people coming in and paying and grumblings that, you know, this is just a money making scheme for the city. Um, they only care about getting a profit. What's your response to those statements?
2: I hear that too. I mean, that's not um, that that's not necessarily foreign. Um, And I mean, I guess on one hand, I'm not going to say I don't understand the knee jerk reaction or why people say that. Um, And yet, at the same time, I think it's about balance. I mean, so if let's just take away traffic tickets and tickets altogether, right? Well, then what what good are the laws that we have if there's absolutely no method to enforce them and so part of how i look at that is again i understand why it feels that way if you've gotten a ticket and yet and again this isn't a statement of fault if you were traveling 50 miles per hour through a school zone um, that can be a problem and we have rules and you know statutes and laws for a reason And so it's not necessarily, yes, there's money tied to it, because again, we're not taking away liberties, we're imposing forfeitures within the municipal system. And so that's the consequence for the violation. But at least in my court, I think we've done a really good job of of being open if someone comes and, and wants to work through this of finding, again, alternatives, not, you know, it's gonna go away altogether, but there are usually opportunities to look at reducing points or reducing fines. You work within a municipal system and, and represent defendants. So, you know, there are ways to to work through that, which tells me that this isn't just about the bottom line, because if that was it, we wouldn't even have an opportunity to resolve these. It would right. be right, everything's a trial. You don't have a say. Or, you know, there's no trial, which of course would be a violation of our entire system. So the money's tied to it, but I don't, and I can't think of a way to then enforce rules or laws without that. Exactly.
1: Couldn't agree more. It's time for the definition of the day. So every week we have a definition of the day, and I was hoping that you could explain to our listeners what a no contest
2: plea is. I will explain a no contest plea by, f- by kind of giving the, let's call it umbrella contests to Perfect. a no contest plea. So there's also not guilty or guilty. Mm-hmm. So if you plead guilty, you're essentially saying, I'm not contesting this. I did it. I'm just going to pay my fine and move on. Okay. So that's option one. Mm -hmm. Option two is not guilty. And that usually then is going to give you an opportunity to talk to a prosecutor or a municipal attorney and consider negotiating the ticket or resolving it. It sort of gives you a meandering path to ultimately changing a plea down the road, accepting an amended violation, um, or ultimately, you know, demanding your trial, which you have a right to. So a no contest plea, and this is how I explain it to defendants, is sort of, I don't want to say pleading the fifth, but it's sort of, I'm not going to say really anything. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tell you that I'm guilty. I'm not going to plead not guilty, but I'm going to accept either the recommendation that you're making for an alternative plea, mm-hmm. or I'm just going to accept the consequences that we've discussed and, and pay that. When a defendant enters a no contest plea, the court will accept that and then adjudicate them guilty based on the acceptance of that plea. But again, it matters to some people that I didn't plead guilty. And so that's your, that's your way to kind of you know go down the middle path.
1: Right. It's a great way to say, I don't want to deal with this any
2: further, but I also don't want to say that I did it. Absolutely. And if if that's what people want to do, I mean, that's always fine. Um, it, the end result ultimately looks very similar to a guilty plea. But again, it's the difference of I've never pled guilty. Um, and again, this all, and this is why your clients have you, but it matters sometimes what the plea is um, and how that might impact other matters. Um, but even with a no contest plea or a guilty plea, um, often without an evidentiary hearing or findings on the merits that it might not be as thorny if you've got other matters related to that same ticket. And we can probably leave that for another discussion because that's a very, very um, complex topic. But if you're ever concerned about you know how to plea Uh, you know, a good attorney is a great place to start, but I've also found that a lot of the municipal clerks are honestly very knowledgeable, very helpful, um, and without giving legal advice, will provide very basic explanations about what does this all mean, um, and if you do this, you know, what is that, what, where does that lead you in terms of next steps?
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time to sit down and talk about this, you know, as I told you, no one at my firm does municipal prosecutions. So it's a very unique point of view that we get to hear. Um, Can you, if you want to let people know where they can find you, you're on a show as well. Um, If you want to plug that, go ahead.
2: Sure. We were so I was so thrilled to be able to connect with this incredible podcast when I reached out and asked if one of your partners would join me on a podcast I do with WHBY host Josh Ducolo called Civic Revival. Um, we're still riding the high of Ray Delasto's discussion with us <laughs> last week about all things gun rights and gun laws in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He is such an advocate and a wealth of knowledge, I could have listened to Ray for another eight hours and we will definitely have him back. So (laughs) folks can find me anywhere you find podcasts um, at Civic Revival, Uh, but I am a partner at Hurling Clark Law Firm in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I suppose all your municipal prosecution questions, you could locate me there. And I think the stuff is interesting, so I don't ever mind talking about it.
1: Great, I totally agree. It's definitely interesting. We might just be law nerds about it, but I find it fascinating.
2: There's nothing wrong with law nerds. Those are the best kind.
1: Exactly. Well, thanks again so much, Kristen. We really enjoyed having you on.
2: Thank you for the invitation. I am just so grateful to have been able to join you.
1: Let's get to know GRGB law clerk, Karan Payne. Karan very recently joined our family here at Gimbal, Riley, Garen, and Brown as our newest law clerk. Karan's a person of many talents. He's also a Marine Corps veteran who received the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal while serving on active duty. Karan currently studies at Howard University, and I would say he is one of the most positive people that I have probably ever met in my life. Hey, Karan!
0: Hey, hey, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. (laughs) So, I want to talk to you about something that is very unique across the nation and in Milwaukee. You attend an HBCU. I do. (laughs) Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. So, it's Howard University.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, Howard's awesome. I mean, of course, the curriculum's stellar, but I think um, you're around people who understand you, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think that's one of the beauties of HBCUs, like, College is different than high school in that aspect. Right. You know, you guys are adults and get to have fun and get to study. And you can have fun while studying. And it's mm-hmm. awesome to do that with people who like to have the type of fun that you like to have. You know? yeah. So that's what I like about it. No Good. I' power to be in an HBCU. You know, you guys like to listen to the same music usually. You like to have the same activities, mm-hmm. uh, the same sports teams. You guys talk about the same things. You know, your mom says the same weird threats. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they're from California, and you're from Wisconsin. Or mm-hmm. they're from Florida, and you're from Wisconsin. But somehow it's all this big community where everyone, yeah, you know, says the same thing. And yeah. so like, oh, we went through that, too. We went through that, too. So I think that's the beauty of HBCU.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you know, I don't know a whole lot about Howard. I'm going to mm. be completely honest. Okay. What sort of grad programs do they have? I know, obviously, they've got a thriving law school, a thriving mm-hmm. undergrad. But what else do they offer? Uh,
0: Dental, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, MD, um, our president's uh, MD there. Um, <sighs> Howard just has it. I mean, they <laughs> got everything. They have so much stuff. I mean, I, I would hate to just limit to the things yeah. that I know. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand completely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their campus is huge. And mm-hmm. then we have a West Campus for the law school or the, the grad school where oh, everyone cool. else goes. So it's, yeah, it's two okay. separate campuses and yeah, it's so much stuff there. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, how many people do you think well let's start with this how many people are in your graduating class for law school
0: 155 okay so that's, that's big yeah my class I have no idea though the class yeah is. that's okay I always say my class is the best so.
1: yeah. <laughs> that's amazing how many people if you had to guess are in the entire grad school campus area I know that's
0: it's hard to say because you know we're virtual most of the time, so you don't get to see everyone. Right. So I wouldn't. I, I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> right. Let's
1: talk a little bit more about that. What was it like doing your first year of law school virtual?
0: Awesome. I, I think. Okay. You, know, um, you get to roll out of bed, wash your face, brush your teeth, all in five, six minutes before class. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Okay. laughs> you, you know that's pretty cool. I yeah. think. And laws, law school is some pretty heavy stuff, as you can mm-hmm. remember, I'm sure. So it's nice to have those extra minutes in that or into at least being in your, the comfort of your own home while you're uncomfortable.
1: Okay. You know. Yeah. So I
0: think that that helps a lot, but I do think you cut back on the on the spotness too. You know that on the job shock train that you mm-hmm. get from being cold called in, you know, class. Right. So I would recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it, but I am excited to go back this okay. uh spring or this fall Yeah. Like they're going to um Have us in person
1: that'll be really fun and so when you were virtual were you living at howard or were you here in milwaukee i was
0: living in uh, silver spring maryland which is 25 minutes up the road okay so yeah i was living in uh maryland and yeah i got to experience and we still i don't know i feel like we still did things Mm -hmm. as we would have in law school if we were in in person okay um just this class itself was virtual
1: okay i was gonna say one of the biggest benefits of law school is the networking aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So, a lot of my friends now in the legal profession are people I went to law school with. Oh, so, I'm nice. glad that you still got to have that experience. Oh, for
0: sure. I mean, yeah. I'm section one, the best section. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're a family. Yeah. yeah we're, we're a big family. We tell each other happy birthday in our chats. Nice. You know? um, we follow each other all on social media, mm-hmm. keep in touch. So, I can imagine we'll be friends for a while.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> good, good. So, this is. I know when I was a one L. If someone asked me this, I don't know if I'd be able to answer it. Mm. What's your plan for after law school? What's your future look like in your ideal world? Criminal defense. All right, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent criminal
0: defense. Um, litigating in Wisconsin, okay, Milwaukee. I, I love the city.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and you're I, from here?
0: From born and raised. Yep. I never plan to leave the city, um, and I want to litigate here. You know, that was my goal. What was my goal when I first thought about law school? Yeah. It was corporate, and then transactional law just isn't for me. Fair. (laughs) And then, and criminal was always a close second, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but it easily (laughs) became first. So, my plan is to litigate in Wisconsin. Awesome. As Frank said, until I can't do it anymore.
1: (laughs) Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks so much, Karan, for stopping by and giving us a little bit of your time. We're very excited to have you here.
0: Oh, excited to be here. This place is awesome.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another bonus episode of Zealous. This series is brought to you by Gimble, Riley, Garen and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. As I promised last week, our next regularly scheduled episode will feature partner Max Stevenson, and center around communications during a divorce. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.